Hello, everyone, and welcome to Marvelous Movie Mondays, a special review episode of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, for anyone who has not seen uh, this uh, this podcast, this is a podcast that we do weekly where we usually start with news and then talk about, you know, all the stuff in the Marvel world and then whatever is new and hot on the topic. But for our movie reviews, we kind of just like jump right in. We usually like to get to our thoughts, get to our experience watching it, and then we get into spoilers at the end. Kelsey, I didn't talk to you before this. Uh, first off, this is my co-host, Kelsey Kilpatrick. Hello, Kelsey. Hi. But do we even want to do a non-spoiler section? Because in my opinion, whenever anyone asks me, what, what is the movie about? I can't even tell them what it's about without telling them, I guess, a spoiler. Because it's not really a sure. spoiler. It's the inciting incident in the movie. But the inciting incident in the movie does revolve around potential death of a character. So I, I really do think it could be one of those things where we just like, jump into spoilers from the top unless you have like a blanket one sentence thesis that doesn't have spoilers that you can like share um, with our audience i think most people who have watched the movie or watching this review have watched the movie but but i'm gonna leave it up to you would you like to try to dance around spoilers for a little while and then get into it or do you want to just get right into the spoilers hold on dill because i Sorry. i did write i did just write a a summary really quick okay What's the best summary you can give without spoilers? But I don't know if it's a spoiler. So what okay. I'm doing right now is looking on IMDb to see the description that IMDb gives it because I'm like, what, you know, what, are, what what's the little summary that they gave? Right. Because it, it really um, is. Okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Here's here's the IMDb summary just to stay safe. You know, this is something anyone can Google and and read. Still reeling from the loss of Gamora, Peter Quill rallies his team to defend the universe and one of their own, a mission that could mean the end of the Guardians if not successful. Okay. Yeah, that that that's a good summary, but also I feel like they make it very much seem like it's Quill's story in that story. synopsis when this right. is very so much Right. So I think a they want to save movie. that. Yeah. yeah. So why because we... my summary delved into specifics about right. who they're trying to so, save. So, so... You know, so you know what we're gonna do for the first time ever on Marvelous Movie Mondays. We're not giving you a non-spoiler review. Boom, baby. We're talking about spoilers from the top. We have what to is, spoil this movie. What, what is your synopsis <laughs> of the film okay. with the context of what I wrote sp- down? is kind of similar. I wrote, after the Guardians are attacked by Adam, they have to work together to save Rocket, and in doing so, discover things about his past. Yes. this That is correct. This is all about Rocket. This is Rocket's film. Yeah. This is, by extension, James Gunn's film, because James Gunn has said that Rocket is his favorite character. He's the one that he sees himself in. He is always connected to Rocket, and he wanted this send-off for the Guardians to be kind of seen through the eyes of Rocket, which is very fascinating because two-thirds of the film, Rocket, present-day Rocket, does not talk, does not interact. He's lying in a coma, yeah. but we see through backstory. Like, it is his story, and even if we're yeah. not seeing it through his words all the time, hearing it through his words, we're seeing it through his eyes and the fact that we're seeing everything around him revolve around him, um, which is a very fascinating way to approach a story in general because Quill has been kind of your protagonist for the first two films so yeah. to now see that like quill is still the leader but like rocket is the main focus i, I thought it was an interesting right. pivot yeah 100 percent, dill honestly it, it really threw me for a loop because you know we all went into this movie 
And the number one question on everyone's minds was who's not going to make it to the end of this movie? Yeah. Who is going to be our big sacrifice? Who's going to be our big loss? You know, mm. a lot of people were taking bets on rocket. A lot of people taking bets on Drax. Some people, myself included taking bets on Peter Quill. We thought yeah. that this I, would be like, I thought Cracklin was a big contender because it's yeah. James Gunn's brother. And I could see him being sure. like, bro, I'm going to give you a send off. Um, um, and and from so, the trailers, they they did kind of yeah. tease the rocketness because yes. we saw the shot of Drax like getting shot uh, at the uh, whatever scope or, thing it was orgo, called orgo scope. Um, we saw the shot of them carrying him off, but he was walking, so we're like he's not dead there. But Rocket, we did see those shots of like Mantis and Quill like crying over a body, and it only made sense um, given the fact that we also saw shots of his flashback in the trailer and trailers with the mcu has been like my big overarching complaint in terms of reviewing movies because yeah. they always tend to spoil stuff that's going to come ahead in this sense there were a few moments for example in the trailer you have the shot of rocket saying um i'm done running it's the last shot of the trailer and it's like the whole movie you're waiting to get to that line so you know he's going to come out of this coma one way or another but for me that didn't necessarily matter as much because for me I just knew he was going to live. Like it wasn't a question of, mm. is he going to die or not? Like for me, it was always going to be that rocket was going to make it out and then maybe make an ultimate sacrifice, but he wasn't going to die this way because I think it just happened too early on for him to just sure. lie there all, all movie and then die. Like I just, that didn't mind me. That was the one spoiler that the trailer gave me that I, that I didn't really mind. So I really liked how they marketed yeah. this movie because they yeah. did make it seem like it could be any of them who died rocket being the main candidate. But I think because they advertised so much that rocket was going to die. I knew he wasn't, right. you know what I mean? Um, which yeah. I didn't mind. You know, I, I think the marketing was very successful and really not giving away too much of what this movie even was. Like you said, the movie is all about saving one of their own when they're fatally wounded. We yeah. didn't get any of that in the trailer. And I like that, uh, that that's mm -hmm. the premise that we can go in and kind of be surprised. Like you said, yeah, so once we took this pivot of like it's Rocket's life on the line and he's going to be in incapacitated for the majority of this film, that kind of me said that well this there we're not going to go through this whole movie and him die like this. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I I was like okay, I don't think he's going to die this way. I think mm. that we're we might get close, we might get like a a flat line moment which we did. Um but ultimately, like, he's going to come out of, of this uh, medical emergency. After the fact, I that's when I got nervous again. That's when right, I was when he like, comes back. And then full he, body sweat. It's and, the, oh, shot, it's the shot when Quill goes, where's Rocket? And you see him, like, turn and look at the animals. And you're like, oh, here we go again. You know, like, that's the moment. Yeah. Like, oh, maybe yeah. he will. You know. Right. And it's the moment before that even when Nebula and him go to, like, fly the ship, the, the high evolutionary ship mm. and nebula is like calm. oh like i i'll do it but give me your calm i'm like nope that can't be good that that can't lead to anything yeah. good it's, it's like in a new hope when obi-wan kenobi goes off and he's like luke here's the instructions i'll be back and and you know well you don't know because you haven't watched i don't it, know but you know that this so this probably but they happen. know when the, group, when the group splits up and one it says i'll stay behind you're like all right yeah okay. yeah you're um, like okay you're done but but um, I think the main point to touch on before we even get into like specifics about the film, though, is that every character, main character lived. I mean, we lost Elizabeth Debicki's character. We lost the three in the flashback. So not everyone lived, but like in general, right. our guardians lived. And I think that is also 
I, I think the cheap route would have honestly been to go for the emotional moments and kill them for the emotional beats. But we get mm -hmm. just as much tears and just as much emotion from their survival and where they end up. It's like Toy Story 3 and Toy Story 4. The scene where they're in the incinerator doesn't make me cry. The scene at the end where they're where he's giving the toys away, that's what makes me cry. That's yeah. not a moment of peril. That's a moment of joy and happiness, but also a moment of finality and conclusion that makes me sad. Yeah. Same as Toy Story yeah. 4 when Buzz and Woody finally agree to split up and go their separate ways. It makes me emotional. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what I got from this. I was more emotional because they all lived and decided to go their own separate ways than I would have been for death just because death in the mcu is never permanent gamora came right. back black widow we saw a prequel after she died loki came back uh even colson came back in the series you know like i i really yeah. think this was a much more satisfying and much more emotional finale than anything would have been if it was a death match because of that yeah 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 um yeah, Dill, it feels like we kind of got like double bluffed by James Gunn. It felt like he was kind of toying with us the whole film mm -hmm. because there was a lot of different moments throughout. Like, like you said, each character kind of had their moment where it was like, oh, is this gonna, is this it? Is this it yeah. for them? Like, um, and, and so it was, it was an emo emotional roller coaster in that sense. And I'm actually kind of really happy. Obviously, I'm like ecstatic. I was most nervous for Rocket going into this film because he's mm -hmm. just turned out to be such a beloved character. He's James Gunn's favorite character. Um, and he's kind of been crafting this arc for Rocket since the beginning. I've been watching so many interviews. So I'm like, know mm -hmm. all these behind the scene facts now. Um, but like Bradley Cooper was saying, like he you know he approached in from guardians one said like oh we're gonna do a whole movie about like rocket's backstory and bradley cooper was like oh yeah cool but you never actually know if these things are gonna pan out yeah. and it did and yeah. it was like and it was yeah I, I, and it it's so good yeah i want to touch on that because you, you mentioned like stuff that was like kind of dropped subtle hints in, in guardians one that eventually we get to through six or seven movies because keep in mind it's not just the three guardians movies it's yeah. a holiday special it's two avengers movies it's thor love and thunder kind of uh so that's eight movies yeah. with these characters yeah so, 10 years the, almost yeah and and some of the things that i thought were almost played up for laughs end up being really emotional beats later like the idea that quill and rocket kind of fight over who's the leader mm -hmm. that stuff in the earlier movies that once annoyed me about quill i'd be like quill shut up now mm -hmm. in this movie at the end when he's like captain and they do this i'm bawling like a little baby because yeah. they set it up yeah. so much where there's like this little rivalry and it's almost funny and then like at the end like it actually means something when quill does admit that rocket's the captain of the team and he always has yeah. been in a way uh just like layla says or lila in his dream lila. it's always it's always been you um it's always yes. been your story but another thing I, I want to touch on is Drax, because I feel like in the first Guardians, I watched all the Guardians this week. In the first Guardians, I feel like Drax is like the one throwaway. Like, he has some funny moments, but I really don't remember him. It's not till the mm -hmm. second one where he became one of my favorite characters, and it's because they made him so funny. But some people have complaints that they almost made him too clownish. And I think mm -hmm. in this film, they kind of touched on it, and James Gunn almost, like, because a lot of the complaints from people were, oh, he's not a destroyer anymore. He's just a comedian. He's a clown. But in this mm. movie, they make that a plot point. They make it the fact that you're not a destroyer. You're a dad. Like, you, you're just this warm, fun guy. Like, you yeah. have the strength, but you're not a destroyer. You're a dad. And I love that, too, because it's, like, kind of taking everything we've gotten from this character from destroyer in one to, like, silly guy in two to now make it kind of emerging a both where you're still strong, but you're strong because you're loving and funny. Uh, and, like, Mantis's line of um, he makes us laugh and makes us smile and he loves himself. 
unlike everyone else. That's his superpower. And I'm like, yeah, like this is all brilliant. Like, I, I yeah. I think it goes without saying we haven't really said whether we like the movie or not, but I think we both really like this movie. And I think it's because yes. it's such a fulfilling <laughs> ending to all these arcs, not just individual arcs, but intermingled arcs. So Quill and Peter, oh, that's the same character. Quill and Rocket, um, <laughs> Drax and Nebula, Drax and Mantis. Mantis and Nebula, who we never really got much of, Mantis and Nebula. We get a lot with right. them in this one. Um, yeah. And I think James Gunn really just really nails all those connections because he's had these characters for what did you say like nine years and and it's yeah it's like well probably 10 years because he probably started filming in 2013 so like he's really been with these characters for a whole decade and it shows and it's one yeah. guy with this whole team it's not like taika who took thor halfway through and rejuvenated it it's mm-hmm. he's had these characters from like he birthed them and he's dying with them um yeah and this is literally the end for him in the MCU because he's going to run DC. He's going to be the Kevin Feige of DC. And I'll tell you right now, I'm really worried for Marvel. And I'm really excited for DC now because I think James Gunn has been a real fundamental part. James Gunn's the reason you're in into the MCU, Kels. Like, it really is yeah. James Gunn who kind of, I think, really has kept the MCU afloat, especially post-Endgame um, because the holiday special was my favorite thing in Phase 4. This is probably going to be my favorite thing in Phase 5. You know, like, I really do think... yeah. He is a, such a fundamental keystone of this franchise that I think I'm interested to see what they do without him. But uh, I really am excited for DC now because I think he's going to bring some real good magic there. Yeah, he really is like such a genius and like so like he's just so smart and creative. And I just want to like sit down and like ask him so many questions. Like I yeah. just want to pick his brain about so many things. Um, but like you said, Dill, like a lot of comments ago the most devastating part no worries the most devastating part of this movie is that it feels like you know it's the end of an era like we went into this movie we heard james gunn say like this was going to be the end of the guardians as we knew them and it it was like it's it's no longer that group anymore we get a taste of the new group in one of the post-credit scenes um and we've even gotten confirmation from zoe saldana and dave batista and Tom clementine like they're done um, yeah. So it's really it's really just this new group that we saw in the post credits and then apparently Peter Quill, which we'll get to. But um, right. those are the only ones who I think are still on, you know, but what but what you mentioned about, um, you know, with Drax and everything and, and Mantis and these little moments between the characters that this was the first movie that I felt like they all felt like a real essential part of the team. Like Mm -hmm. in past movies, like especially like when we first like incorporate Mantis and then when when we see them fighting in Infinity War and Endgame, some of them just get like lost in the sauce. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it felt like this in this movie, they all have a moment where they all contribute something helpful and, and like useful to the group. And, and, it just felt like they felt like a really like coherent team in this movie. Mm. And that's what I really appreciated. It felt like that, that they have grown and you know, that they all were an essential part of the team or, oh, which was sure. kind of my biggest complaint about like specifically, I think uh, Mantis and Drax, you know, before we got the holiday special, it was kind of just like, well, what do they even do here? I'm pretty sure like at some point in the movie, like someone looks at them and it's like, and what do they even do? Oh, yeah. in infinity war. And then they say, take, take ass and kick names or something. Yeah, well, um, and, and I've talked to many people. Mantis has been a highlight for 
almost everyone I've talked to in terms of like, who was your favorite in this movie? And it's not just because of like her getting that arc of finding herself, but we got to keep in mind the comedy is still really good here too. And a moment that I saw you cracking up at and my mom cracking up at and me too, but like cracking up at is every time they would land and Mantis would just always fall either on her like (laughs) neck or her back, like she would always fall in a silly way. And it's like little things like that where I think that's the magic of these movies is we can get all this emotional stuff, but we can also have a balance with the humor and real darkness. Like this film goes so dark and we'll talk about that in a sec, but like, Mm. I think that's the one complaint I would have is that sometimes in this film, the tonal shifts felt a little drastic. Like literally there's, there's a shot where we literally go from the death of Rocket's three friends and the immediate next cut is Drax knocking a guy off a motorcycle. And I remember (laughs) you were cracking up at that, and I yeah. looked over at you and you're crying. And I'm like, are yeah. those tears from the scene that happened 30 seconds ago or from Drax? You just go, it's both. And it's a combination just, of both. Exactly. But, but one is sad tears and one is like laughter tears. But I think that might have been a little too soon to where like maybe give it a little longer before you cut right into it. Like, I, I think that was the only thing I had a problem with were some of the tonal shifts. But then again, in another director's hands, I think the tonal shifts would have been even more drastic and jarring. I think James Gunn mm-hmm. still understands the balance because he's established these characters as comedians kind of first to where now when we're taking the story in a much more serious route those that comedy is just kind of a part of them it's not like they're reaching for the laughs their laughs feel natural and then we can really dive into the tragic stuff um let's touch on the tragic stuff though because like the backstory is such a big part of it and i want to get your opinion on this because a lot of people have soured on the film because of the depiction of animal violence and i think that's totally valid i think the animal violence here is extreme it's it's uncomfortable to watch i mean the the idea of all these animals with these like robotic parts drilled into them and and the fact Mm -hmm. that rocket's skull is exposed in the first shot Mm -hmm. like that's rough to watch and i can totally get it like i lost a pet literally two weeks ago i have friends and critics i know who like literally lost pets in the past like few months like watching this was tough for them and i totally Mm -hmm. get that and i honestly think for me that only made the ending where he saves animals that much more satisfying and emotional but also like i'll admit it's hard to watch those scenes back and i don't know if this is going to be one of the most rewatchable guardians movies because of that uh what did you think of the animal violence and do you think it was a little too extreme do you think it fit do you think maybe the backstory what do you think of the backstory and how it was dispersed do you like it all sporadic or do you like it more confined what what do you think of that no i thought that it was great how they kind of like divvied up the Mm -hmm. um flashback scenes that we got of rocket um i mean we New going, like, from Guardians 1, from the first shot of when they get into the prison and they're changing into, like, the prison uniforms, you know, and we see all of the work that he has done on his back and, like, Peter Quill looks at him and is like, ew, what even are you? And he's like, oh, there's no thing like me but me or something. And and so we kind of get a sense that, like, something tragic has happened to rocket you know he says in scenes later in guardians one that he didn't ask to be picked apart and torn to pieces over and over again so we know that something bad has happened here and we don't really see like the surgeries per se like we just see the aftermath of them of him you know coming out with all the gadgets like that have been like drilled into his hands and like how you said his skull's been um you know, obviously like drilled open and his brain has been experimented on, we're assuming. Um, so it it wasn't, I think it would have been more jarring if we actually saw the right. actual treatments and right. experiment and then 
like experiments um i mean to be fair though we did see the the animals in the cages like grow into those monster things like the yeah that was was like yeah yeah. and i think that's the thing is like i don't i don't think it's a bad movie because of that at all like i like the movie but it's also like i i i think it was a little extreme and i i do think I, I I almost feel like, regardless of what I think, I think other people, if they don't like the movie because of that, should not be shamed for it. And I think a lot of people are being like told they're too yeah. soft or like. I'm like, no, like it's it's tough stuff to watch, regardless. You know what I mean? Especially because yeah. we connect with these characters so much. You know, we love Rocket, so it, it hurts even more. Yeah, I don't I don't fault those people at all. Right. Like we just watched a movie for Jer- Jeremy Renner that I said was like really uncomfortable for right. me to watch, and you know, um, Wind River, mm-hmm. right? yeah 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 so so like we you know so i i totally get it if it's not if it's something that makes you like deeply uncomfortable and and you know something that makes this movie lower on your ranking for you i totally get that um but at the end of the day it kind of just made me just really really hate the villain and love to hate him because i feel like there's no greater evil you can do than harm animals and innocent creatures yeah you know and, yeah, and and i think that we can all like kind of universally agree that it's t- it's harder to watch animals suffer than it is for people i know that sounds kind of psychopathic but that's just how it is you know like there are these innocent beings that are kind of like helpless and and defenseless and and they it's can't the you know exactly yeah, yeah. they mm-hmm. can't you know vouch for themselves they can't even talk in this universe they can but you know it just it makes this guy just just feel like pure evil and it's been a while i feel like since we've just gotten a villain that is just pure evil for the sake of being evil you know what i mean right like even kang had a charm and and you know um or had a daughter you know like Mm -hmm. but but it really they had redeemable qualities at least kang has like yeah, because Kang has like multiple different versions of himself. So you could get a, a nice version of Kang or you can get the worst version of him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. At, but like this this high evolutionary guy is just pure evil. Yeah, like, Chikudi Awudi is psychopath. so freaking good in this role too. Like, yes. He, and I think the difference is that like a lot of the times when you get like celebrity or like big name actors to fill roles, they've kind of figured out their niche. When you get someone mm-hmm. who's still up and coming, and this was the same with, he who must not be named uh kang Mm -hmm. Uh, they they have this like kind of they're still early enough in their careers where they're fresh out of like acting school they've still got like almost like the theatricality needed for a villain because villains are very theatrical in comic book movies and disney movies you know you need a larger than life presence in a way to where like you know performances like these and performances like kang's like they feel so epic because they feel so like shakespearean and and you know, because they're leaning into all the evil, but they've also got all this gravitas as well. And I don't want to say charm in this sense because he doesn't have any charm in this one. But like mm-hmm. a sense of at least, you know, you want to watch, you want to watch him fail because he's so like, like I don't know the, the word to say, but but as an actor, it's so intoxicating to watch this guy yes. really dive into it, and, and he like almost has like little te- temper tantrums at the end of it, you know, mm-hmm. and and it. I loved it. I love the villain in this, in, in the sense that, like, I hated the villain in this. There was <laughs> yeah. something, I don't know if you felt this still, but I felt like there was something just so Shakespearean about yeah. his take on the, on the role, and it just made it so, he was just so frustratingly evil that you just, like, want to, you just want to punch his stupid little mask it might off. Be the, like, it might be the accent, too. Like, just everything, yeah, like, like when, sure. when, when he's like, can't, and he's like, can't. 
I'm like, oh, like, <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. Um, that actually reminded me of my favorite movie, Singing in the Rain, because you know it's all about the silent films to talking yeah. films transition. And yeah. there's this silent film actress that they want to make a big star, but she can't really speak with a nice American accent, like a nice proper tone of speaking. So she, they're like, I can't, st- I can't stand it. And she's like, I can't stand it. Um, it's it's that whole scene. I love it. So yeah, much. yeah, but That's yeah. what that one moment reminded me of. Um, speaking of villains. Adam, <laughs> let's talk about Adam because that was well. First, interesting... I yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything I else did you got? some um, background research on the High Evolutionary cool. from the yeah. comics. All right. So before we before we get into Adam, um, just a fun fact about the High Evolutionary: his real name is Herbert Edgar Windham. Okay. Um. In so he's he's from like the past. He so he attended Oxford University in the 1920s. Right. He created an accelerator that evolves creatures. Um. You know the uh um. What we the saw. device yeah. that we see him use use in the film where he puts like the turtle and the monkey and the kangaroo in, and then they evolve into basically like these humanoid creatures. And so he used it on himself to make himself better. Um, and then he also altered a bunch of different creatures. Um, and he decided to live in on a different planet called Counter Earth, as we saw in the film. Um, and this army of humanoid animals that he created were called the Knights of Wondagore, which yeah. I found interesting because we just had been at Mount Wondagore in um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse right, Madness. Right, right, Yeah, and, and they um, almost have like animalistic uh, humanoid uh, yeah some of some of those um people yeah that, you know, so it's just like crazy um but yeah let's let's talk about will poulter yeah well will, we, will poulter and adam are two different conversations because i think will poulter is great i, I think will poulter sure, did a yeah. good job yeah adam though if, if there's one thing that i'm gonna dock the movie for like the animal brutality was tough to watch but i think it overall served a very like meaningful emotional finale yeah. Anything to talk this film for, I think, is Adam. Because I really think you could have had anything else be the reason why Rocket ends up harmed. Like, you could literally even have, like, the High Evolutionary send, like, this, like, mass, like, missile or something to Earth. For me, Adam just felt like an extra element that kind of crowded the whole thing, where it was already too okay. much going on that, like, the introduction of Adam, I don't think you needed it. Like, I think you could have just had the High Evolutionary... Or give us a little bit more with the high evolutionary and Adam to where it made sense that Adam was like his weapon. Um, I, I just think that the high evol- uh, evolutionary stuff with the the sovereign, that plot line kind of was where it started to feel like to me, where I was like, I don't think we need this. But but I'd like to hear okay. your take um, because I know you like Will Poulter. I like Will Poulter. I think he's great. But I lo- I love Will Poulter. I think mm-hmm. that he was you know, I thought that he was good in this. Um, I liked the element of adam the addition of adam i guess i should say um just because um well first of all i was thrown for a loop that he was going to be this like bumbling kind of himbo um you know they they describe him as like being a child child. like he's literally a toddler because Because he was ripped from his cocoon early yeah yeah, too early and so he's kind of just got this like childlike innocence about him um and because we were expecting him to be totally different, like we met the Sovereign in Guardians 2 and they were these very regal, like they're all gold. They, you know, they look down upon different ways of life and different walks of life. And we were expecting this like regal, like, you know, king-like 
kind of person, or at least I was in this film. And for and then what the opposite of what we got uh, was what you know what Will Poulter did entirely. Um, mm. And I just like that element because I was it was unexpected and it you know it it threw me for a loop. I also think that he added an element of comedy in the film that I think if wasn't there the film would have helped would have felt uh heavier Mm, okay you know what i mean yeah um Uh i totally get the critique that it felt a little crowded but i honestly didn't feel that i kind of liked like finding out that you know the sovereign was you know just another failed kind of experiment that the high evolutionary made Mm. he was like you were something i made when i was bored like you know whatever he says um, and I kind of liked that there, there was this whole, you know, Gamora gives us this backstory about how, um, this exposition that there are pockets of the universe that consider him a God because they, they made him, uh, he made them, yeah, he um, made the whole earth. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I think I was just, I was just having fun with, mm-hmm. with his performance and, and the, yeah. the addition of this character. So I didn't, I yeah. really, I don't have a complaint yeah. about And I did like Adam. him a little more on the second time because my mom loves Will Poulter. She loves the Maze Runner movies. She loves Weird the Millers. So she was really excited yeah. for him. But like, you know, yeah. I, I really think this is one of the elements that I hope I grow on when I watch it more just because every time he shows up, the first time, it makes sense. You need to get Rocket injured. But I'm like, there are other ways you could have done it. You know, like, um, but then as it goes on, I'm like, all right, where are we going with this? And I like at the end how they're like, oh, you know, everyone deserves a second chance is what Groot tells him or Drax mm-hmm. translates Groot's words to be um and then Adam's the one who saved Star-Lord which is like great but also like we didn't get a ton of Adam and Star-Lord Th- that's the thing is we don't get a lot of Adam with the Guardians to where it doesn't make sense that he would save Star-Lord if anything Star-Lord should have been the one to say like everyone gets a second chance so then he could save Star-Lord I don't know and that was another thing too it's like another fake out in the MCU death but yeah. I guess it made sense because like Peter was like the protagonist I don't know yeah. I think like the Adam stuff really if you cut Adam from the movie for me it doesn't really necessarily change much but sure you know if anything I really like Elizabeth Debicki I'd rather her just taking him out because like yeah. she's really good in this movie I love how they let her hair out and I love the scene where she's like talking to high evolutionary and he puts the box down and like stands up on it to get taller than her because yeah. she is notoriously one of the tallest actresses in Hollywood working right now um so it's just really funny to see that they made that joke because everyone in every review you read for hustlers or tenet or any of the movies she's in it's always that girl's so tall and i'm like that's why are you making that a criticism and then james yeah, Gunn's like let's let's make a joke out of it um yeah. not a joke but like let's make make it a commentary it, on how insecure bit, yeah. it is yeah um uh, so yeah I, I liked her in it actually more than i liked adam but i don't know that's the only thing all. though dill if we get rid of adam then the second like then one of the post-credit scenes of guardians 2 like totally doesn't make any sense and is right. useless you right know what I mean? and, and, and it's interesting because the guardians 2 happened before infinity war and endgame i'm just wondering how much of this movie was the plan from guardians 2 and how much of it was like kind of rethought after infinity war and endgame because like mm. really i mean i mean one of the big talking points which we'll get to next is gamora but like i really think james gunn the issue with having a individual singular franchise in a bigger franchise is that he can't necessarily have his vision first second third film unless everything in infinity war and endgame pans out and he's even said on record he did not want gamora to die in infinity war so like i really think it's interesting to see how he was able to like pivot some of these storylines i'm wondering if 
the intention on what to do with Adam at the end of two is what we got in this one. Uh, we'll never know. Or maybe we will know. Maybe he'll reveal it. But let's talk about Gamora because that's one thing we haven't touched on yet. And that was another big point of contention sure. for some people uh, going in was like, what are they going to do with Gamora? You know, are they going to get back together? Is she going to see his ways? Um, I got to say, first off, I loved what they did with Gamora here because it was exactly the opposite of what I think if the studio had like interfered, it would have been because like the studio would have been like, we need Peter and Gamora to end up together again. But the mm-hmm. thing is, this is not the same Gamora. And I loved how they talked about it almost as like kind of a metaphor, a parallel to like friends who grow apart or couples who grow apart or like exes when they think they want to rekindle something, but can't because they've changed. They've grown apart. Like the mm-hmm. idea of growing apart. And I really think that's so strong. I would have loved to see her a little bit more with her and the Ravagers to understand why that bond was so strong to where at the end mm-hmm. when she's hugging them all, like we're getting that idea of, oh wow, she's meant to be there. Um but I did love what they did with Quill and Gamora in this film and Nebula and Quill and Gamora. Kind of Nebula being this like voice of reason between the two of them. Um I loved Gamora's arc in this. But what did you think of this? Dill, I'm sorry to say that I, I disagree. I oh think you're okay the- Gamora was is hands down the biggest complaint that I have about this film. All right, I thought that, uh, and 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 it's not it's not James Gunn's fault. It's not Zoe Zaldana's fault. It's, Russo, it's not. It's it's <laughs> literally it's Infinity War's fault because <laughs> Infinity War and Endgame because they should have just like if she was gonna be dead, then she should have just be dead. You know what I mean? Because we got this like. You know, we got this version of her from 2014 when she was still very much under Thanos's thumb. And even if, and like, I don't know, because like by, by the end of Endgame, when present day Nebula and, and past Gamora are speaking and finally Gamora makes the choice to help present day Nebula and be like, because they have that conversation. She's like, what happens to us in the future? And Nebula is like, oh, we become friends. friends. We, mm-hmm. we finally become sisters. And you can kind of see the cogs turning in her brain that's like, okay, so maybe there is a version of me that can overcome all this and become better than all of this. And I just felt like we should have held on maybe more to that moment when writing this film because her becoming a Ravager, Ravager is yes, fun and kind of makes sense for more 2014 Gamora, but then I feel like completely diminishes that conversation she has with Nebula in Endgame. Mm. And, yeah, you know... Well, because well, what I gathered from this, though, was that her and Nebula were on good terms because Nebula's the one who calls her and is like, listen, right. I got money for you. Um, she says she's not doing it out of the kindness of her heart. She's doing it for the 100 or whatever thousand units she's getting. Right. Also, like, you see their little grunt thing. Like, there's, I think, a respect. And I think that yeah. was important with Endgame is that respect was found. It was Quill that wasn't, like, budging um, in her mind. Like, right. She just wasn't able to see that. Because and- I think it's a lot easier to be like, this is your sister and, like, we are friends. To hear someone who has hated you say that, you're like, wow, okay, you must really mean it because she knows her already thing is quill is a complete stranger saying i was in love with you and like that you can't just like force you know what i mean like right sisterhood, at least she's seen the opposite of nebula to when she's seeing this nebula in endgame she's like wow you are really different than that nebula i know we must have actually been close i respect you whereas quill it's like i don't know you before this either so like i, I don't know I, I think it's a little different with nebula and quill like i I don't know. It, yeah. it, it was satisfying because it was unsatisfying for me. Like I, I feel like it took mm. the harder road out than the easy road. And I appreciated that with, with yeah. Gamora and Quill. But, okay. but I, I see your complaint though. Cause like 
Gamora is kind of the nebula in this movie. She's kind of the antagonist in in the sense that she's kind of like, right. ugh, you know, she's the one who brings the sovereign to um to counter Earth, you know. Yeah, yeah, she's kind of the heel in this movie, if you mm-hmm. will. But I I get what you're saying. You you kind of a like appreciate the fact that it wasn't all neatly tied up in a bow at the end that it's kind of for her yeah yeah um i don't know part of me (laughs) totally gets that and then part of me just like wishes like at the end you know because they i don't know first of all i felt like the amount of times that they fought over like i don't know quill was kind of bothering me at at some moments in this boom in this foof, I combined the words film and movie and made this like foofy. a different word. Um, kind of bothering me in this film a little bit because he just came across at sometimes like such a whiny little bitch, especially when it came to Gamora. And I just thought that all the conversations they were having where he was like, this is not who you are. You are supposed to be doing this. And she's like, I don't know what the who the person is that you're talking about. I'm not her. It just felt like so repetitive at, to a point where I was like, I'm over this. Like either yeah. hate each other or like be friends. But like this, mm. these like stupid little like, bickering fights that you're getting into or or just like pissing me off at this point and and they do have the moment at the end where they're in the spaceship together adam comes you know flies through Mm. wrecks the ship and then you know peter quill rigs it to self-destruct he saves gamora and they have like the moment that they had in uh guardians where you know they do the oh we're rolling around and then i land on top of you moment and now we're really close and they, you know, they had that moment in Guardians 1, and that's kind of where it, I felt like was the t- turning point in their relationship. And I almost just felt like it was a little bit more of a turning point here. Not that I wanted them, like, I, I knew that it was going to be unrealistic for them to, like, fall back in love at the end or, like, you know, do anything kind of, like, romantic. Like, I knew that wasn't going to happen. But I kind of wish that Gamora ended being, like, you know what, like, I vibe with this group. I think this is kind of where more, more where I belong and not with the Ravagers. I was, you know, I was waiting for her because at the ending montage where they're all kind of like, you know, returning back to their different pockets and she goes back to the Ravagers. I was kind of waiting for her to be like, you know, guys, like we've had a great run, but I kind of want to go like explore at the very least explore more of this. And, and, you know, like, Peter Quill mm. was saying, like, you know, do something for the greater good or do, you know, do something, help, yeah. help others. Yeah, that's um, true. I, I saw the moment of them like rolling around and like that look they give each other is almost like that's where she finally like they become friends. Like, I, I think that's more of like, OK, I, sure. I respect you because the whole time she really just does not get it. She's like, you're the leader. You're this idiot. Um, And, and I, gr- I agree with the whininess a little bit. Um, it didn't bother me as much as like some of the stuff at the end of Infinity War does or Thor Love and Thunder mm. for, for Quill. Like I actually, yeah, I said it in my written review on Letterboxd. I was like, I really liked Chris Pratt in this movie. And I think it's because that second half of the movie, I think for Star-Lord himself, when Gamora hands him that picture and is like, you left this behind. That is the moment, I think, where he clicks and he's like, shit, like, there's bigger things right now than like me being mad about this one girl. Like my friend is lying on his deathbed. I mm-hmm. have a grandfather that I don't even know is, is alive because I literally ran, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I ran out of that hospital. I, I didn't stick around and, and he lost his daughter the same day he lost his grandson essentially. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and then, 
from that point on, we get the whole moment where Rocket, where they're, you know, watching Rocket's backstory and then they finally get Rocket, you know, he's he flatlines and then you see Chris Pratt crying. And I think that's the best acting he's done in this franchise. And then you see Rocket come back and then you see um, at the end, even with the conversation he has with Gamora, where he's like, we were we were pretty great. We were awesome. Um, that moment, I, I, I just think his acting has been really strong in this movie specifically. Uh, the whininess a little bit, yes, but it didn't bother me as much. Like, I really think the stakes helped elevate Star-Lord's character in the second act to where I really, or the second half to where I really liked Quill at the end of this. And you, you and I both know, well, I do not like Quill very no. much. I don't know Guardian. many people who do. So, <laughs> like in Infinity yeah. War, I liked him. And then Infinity War lost me on Quill. I, I found yeah. him like you said, like a whiny little baby, a selfish little baby. But I think that was kind of the point. And I think that's honestly kind of why Adam is the one to save him, is because Adam and Quill are both these essentially these babies. I mean, Quill was taken when he was eight years old, and then you see it when he's trying to drive the car. He's still a little kid. He doesn't know how right. to drive a car. And I think that's yeah. something really interesting is that this film is showing you he's whiny because he's still a kid. He was taken when he was eight. He hasn't grown up. It's almost like right. Peter Pan. It's almost like this is his Neverland where he never gets to grow up and he needs to go mm. back to Earth and learn to grow up. Um, yeah, so for right. me, that really resonated with me for Quill is the fact that like to me, this whole Guardians thing has been his Neverland. He needs to go and learn how to like grow up and be an adult. And by that, it means go back to Earth and actually live the life he never led. Um and I really like that about Quill's story. And I really, really appreciate that. Especially now I'm appreciating Adam's story a little bit more too because it's almost kind of like a parallel in that sense of like, he's just a kid. He doesn't know better. Uh, and I think the same is kind of true to Quill. Um, and yeah. that's why Rocket has always been the leader of the group because Quill can like kind of put on the face. Um, but at the end, Rocket's kind of the more wise one because Quill just doesn't have the experience. And I think that's that's yeah. kind of an interesting route to take Peter. I, I didn't mind Peter in this one. Um what did you think of though Peter going back to his grandpa? Because I know some people were like, they don't even mention the grandpa in the second movie, but I think that's the whole right. point for me. It was like, he hasn't mentioned him because he's just been so caught up in the excitement of the romance and having all these cyber friends and all that stuff to where like, I really think it hits him in this movie that he's like, wow, I did leave some stuff behind and maybe I should go check it out because I found my family here and my family here is going to be okay. And now yeah. I need to check up on my other family that I ran away from. But but it also kind of contradicts the idea of Yondu saying he was your father, but he's not your daddy. Like it's not who you're it's not your blood. It's it's you know, it's it's who actually has the heart. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a little at odds, but I, I did you know, I did cry when he saw his grandpa. So I, I don't right. know. <laughs> you know, yeah, that that moment's conflicting for me, Dill, just because like we, you know, um, we know this this man from from Guardians one and you know we we can recall the moment that peter's talking about where he's like he yelled at me and pushed me out of the room um but you know this isn't a character that we've been thinking about at all like right. we watched that scene happen and then we've watched all these movies and we've never given peter's grandfather another thought <laughs> right. right so then to have him brought up again in this movie was a little random but at the end of the day like what i really liked about this movie is that how much like family and familial roles like play such a strong uh part in this movie because obviously we have you know like gamora and nebula who are like adoptive sisters like mantis and and peter now are like half kind of siblings together um and and they're really like a found family that has like strange connections together but 
like it's Mantis who, you know, brings up his grandfather again and like has the mm-hmm. conversation with him and says, you know, he lost his daughter and his grandson in the same day. Like he he might be like really going through it. He might be really missing you. And I kind of like that it's it's her who really has like the whole kind of heart in this film. Like she's like mm-hmm. desperately trying to keep the group together. And um like Mantis is just the whole heart of the of the group in this film. And I think that's why so many people are walking away being like she was my favorite part is because, you know, she's really there to like defend, you know, she's there to defend Drax and then she's there to call Nebula out when she's like being too mean and and mm-hmm. too, you know, hard on hard on the group. And, mm-hmm. you know, she has that great moment where Rocket comes back and she just says, we love you and, and we're so happy that you're alive. And before, like in Guardians 1, we would have never, even in Guardians 2, we would have never heard any of them, like, actually, like, share that. Like, say I love you to each other. Like, man, they all hate their lives except for Drax. But Drax, right? And even though, like, we knew that they were friends and and this kind of found family, that there were still moments where they really got under each other's skin and and disagreed and bickered and and did all those uh, things you do with your family. But... You know, I thought that it was I thought that it was definitely sweet. I'm I was definitely tearing up when they had their their reunion and he didn't even like doubt for a second like he just looked at Peter Quill and was like yeah. it's Peter. Like yeah. this is my grandson. Yeah. I think it would have um, been all the sweeter if they had it at least mentioned in the second movie, but I, I think sure. that's also the problem with having it be part of the MCU is that these movies now three movies are spaced out amongst 9 years whereas if right. you've gotten 1 2 3 in a span of 3 years, maybe the grandpa would have been fresher on the mind. I didn't mind that especially because Yeah, no. If he's not going to end up with Mora, I like how they had him then be like, I gotta go back to Earth. It's the Peter Pan thing of like, I gotta grow up. Um, yeah, I just live on Neverland forever. And um, yeah, that whole ending sequence, the the music, I mean, oh, the soundtrack in this thing is so good. But like, you know, yeah. the, the music, the dog days are over thing. Like, I, I love uh, that. You know, where they're all I'm never gonna together. be able to listen to that song without crying. Right. I, yeah, because they're all dancing together. It, it's great. And and you know, yeah, the, the one last thing before we move on uh, was Star Lord, uh, the post credits. The fact that he's returning, do you like that? Do you think, you know, this was a satisfying ending? We don't need to see more of Peter? Because honestly, I thought it was a satisfying ending. The only way I'd like to see more of him, and this is something that our, our trivia competitor, JD, brought up, so I'm giving him the credit for when we talked about it. He said, wouldn't it be great to just see a series where Chris Pratt is just like a guy who's at a house taking care of his grandpa? It's like a sitcom of them just like living together <laughs> doing mundane chores. I'm like, so they're yeah. basically doing Jean Dielman, which is this old like Belgian film a three-hour Belgian film about this woman doing chores. Like, it's going to just be that with Chris Pratt. Like, I love that. Um, that would be very satisfying. But, like, what do you think of this whole, like, he will return? Um, because that's, like, the post credit scene. They're like, oh, he's going to return. And we see on the newspaper, it's like, alien attack. Kevin Bacon can testify. And it's like, all right. Is this yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. The little newspaper uh, gag there. Um, you know, uh, Dill, I could take take him or leave him. I could take or leave Star-Lord. I think if I want to watch any of them again, if I had to like rank them, I think Peter Quill would probably be dead last. Uh, yeah. Like, and that's not to say he's not a good character in this movie. It's just like it, it has such a sense of finality for him specifically. Like, right. of all the characters, like Nebula and Drax are still going to stay on nowhere. Like, they're still going to stay on nowhere and take care of the kids. Like, there's finality, but they're still there on the planet. Um, same as and and then the Guardians we saw come together: Kraglin, Cosmo, and then Rocket and Groot and Adam and right. like, the young girl. That's going to be a group. And like even Gamora, she's with the Ravagers. But Quill's the only one who actually it feels like a sense of finality in the sense where he's like almost like he's retired Star-Lord like he's done um 
but I don't know. Yeah, it's and especially without James Gunn to kind of like kinda be the do. man behind whatever Star Lord does next, it's kind of like, yeah. well, what's it gonna be? Yeah. So, well, and I don't really know. This might just be my ignorance. But I don't know if he's signed on to do any other projects yet. Um, the only thing I can think of is, are they sending him back to Earth to do like Secret Invasion? I don't know. Um, mm. I, I really don't know. Uh, but we'll I have to know. wait. Wait and see. Uh, but I, I did touch on the soundtrack. What are your thoughts on the soundtrack? Do you like it just as much as the first two? More? Uh, what were your thoughts? Because it's, um, it's it's interesting. I, I'll, I'll share my take in a sec. But what sure. do you think of this? Um, honestly, Dylan, I didn't know a ton of the songs in mm. in the movie. But I guess you can. I can kind of look back at the first two Guardians and also say going into those films that I wasn't super familiar with those mm -hmm. uh, soundtracks as well. It's definitely going to take a, a few listening. I've already added all the songs to my MCU playlist on my phone. So I've already like listened to the whole soundtrack again. Um, and, and I liked, I liked it a lot. I like how it opens with rocket and it's playing creep. Yes. And Cause I just feel like that's like his anthem. Like I'm just yeah. a weirdo. Like what, what am I doing here? Like, mm -hmm. I just feel like that's kind of like rockets little like anthem for himself. And I just thought yeah. that that, like right away, I was like already like, oh my god, you're playing the acoustic version of Creep, and you're showing me Rocket. Like I was already like gutted. Um, yeah, uh, along I, I that just, line. Yeah, but I thought creep. that it was still fun. I think that my if I had to pick a favorite out of the three, I think that my favorite soundtrack is is Guardians Two. Yeah, the Guardians Two. Like that's Mr. my favorite Blue Sky, so like Brandy. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love that. Um, but this soundtrack, kind of what you were saying with Creep, I like how, you know, this is the opening of the movie and, and the opening of two opens with, you know, Brandy with, with Kurt Russell driving through. And then mm -hmm. it opens with Mr. Blue Sky after that. So it's like a double yeah. opening, but those songs are very upbeat. You know, Mr. Blue Sky, mm -hmm. it's like dancing around. This one opens with an acoustic version of this depressing song, Radiohead song. Like I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. Yeah. Like that is so unconventional. And what yes. I love about this movie specifically is that every single song was like the characters. And I, I don't know if I just didn't pick up on it on the first two, but it almost felt like it was like whatever the characters were listening to in that moment. It wasn't necessarily what songs fit the tone of the scene. Cause there was like a scene where like uh, when group brings in the, the, the ship, when they're on that, that orbosphere or whatever it's called orbosphere or orgoscope. orgosphere. <laughs> sorry. That's going to be my inevitable um, <laughs> orgosphere. When group brings Orgoscope. Orgoscope. When group brings in that ship and like he's playing yeah. like like kind of like a like kind of seductive R and B tune. It's like it doesn't yeah, fit yeah, the action yeah. at all. But I love that because it's just like that's what they were playing on the ship and that's what they wanted to listen to. You know, like yeah. it opens this this big opening, like welcome the guardians. It's your big finale, it's creep in the acoustic version, because that's what mm -hmm. Rocket wanted to play around there. And he's singing along to it. it like and it also fits the tone in that sense of what the movie is going to be and that it's going to be a little darker. But like, I love that, that the record, the needle drops are not necessarily fitting the tone of the, the scene all the time, but it still fits because the characters yeah. are vibing with it, which I really like. And, and my favorite one is, is the, um, the, um, oh gosh. Uh, oh my God. What is the name of that song? I, it's the, the one where they're landing on the planet um oh in uh, in in the meantime in the meantime by space hog yeah yeah and then yes. i love the since you've been gone by rainbow uh those are the two they use in the trailers but um yeah yeah in the meantime the 
yeah and that they're was like so kind of fun. spinning through the space i love that yeah yeah um, yeah but yeah i i really i really loved it and and no i wish they had used the bruce song in the actual movie not in the credits but i sure. saw it here in badlands um but yeah it was it was awesome uh the soundtrack um which then brings me to my last point that i wanted to touch on before we get into other stuff you want to talk about but james gunn we talked a little bit about just his vision and how successfully he like worked with the characters but stylistically this is probably the best looking mcu film we've gotten since endgame in terms of visuals mm-hmm. the visuals there was no seams um and every single movie i've seen has at least had one visual thing where i've been like uh, uh, mm-hmm. these visuals were perfect especially all the animals visuals they all looked so real um, no i agree beautiful visuals and that one take action sequence for no sleep till brooklyn i mm-hmm. i think about it I, I i think about it so much that i can't sleep at night I love that scene so much because it's all the guardians get to show off their own particular skills. It's one take. Well, it's edited to look like one take and it's all yeah. just it's perfectly choreographed. I, I was in amazement at that scene and, and just the idea that James Gunn is such a singular filmmaker. And the fact that this is the first film ever where Kevin Feige said, go, here's your budget. Go ahead. I'm not going to interfere at all. And this is mm-hmm. the first film ever. And he did that, and you can tell because James Gunn—it's his stamp, 100 percent of the way. It doesn't feel like there's any studio interference. Um, and you know, James Gunn started from like a very gore horror background, and you see a little bit of that too, with just like when they're driving through town, the one guy like just pushes the guy into the dumpster, you know, like things like that. And then the first yeah. ever f bomb in the MCU, and uh, you know, they're the brutality. Oh yeah, we got to talk about the f bomb. Yeah, the, the brutality of the animals is tough too, but like there's yeah. like a sense of like it just feels a little heightened in style compared to some other MCU joints that I, I yeah. love. I love it because of it. But what do you think of the direction? And we could talk about the F-bomb if you're, if you're ready. This, this is what I've appreciated about the Guardians films since the beginning. It's that James Gunn, like, doesn't shy away from color. He doesn't shy away from whimsicality. Mm. And those are the things that I feel like make these movies feel like a world of their own and and so unique compared to the rest of the mcu because it's like that scene that you love dill where they're you know and there's in the space suits in the meantime playing in the background mm-hmm. they're like floating through space it's like yeah i feel like a lesser director or a lesser costume designer set designer whoever was the mastermind behind this moment specifically would have picked you know a more practical take like maybe just an all-white spacesuit but instead, they decided to get their own color. We have like a red, blue, green, purple suit. You know, that each character has their own color. And they're like floating through space. And, and they mm. land on this like fleshy like, right. orgoscope. The oregano sphere. Like, <laughs> yeah, almost. Um, and and it's just like, the, that's the, these are the moments, specifically this scene, that make these movies just feel like a world of their own. And I love that you know, he doesn't try to get to like realistic with anything that he really just like take something from the comics, because I feel like that's how comic book movies should feel. It should feel like you're in this world. And like, yeah, maybe not everything is practical, or like, realistic in any way. But like, why? Why should they be? They're about, you know, superheroes flying through space. So but then again, when you have something that you can make practical, make it practical. Like, I love the suits of the people on the um, the origami scope. Oh, no, Uh, I I don't mean like effects wise. I just mean like, grounded in reality. No, I'm agreeing with you, though. Like, I love this, the suit like Nathan Fillion wears like it's it's not CGI. It's like this big, oh, right. Yeah, lumpy suit thing. Um, And in Thor Love and Thunder, his literal eye mask is CGI. Like there's no need for it. You know, like right. if you can make it practical, make it practical. And I think that's what James Gunn does. He only uses Absolutely. effects when he needs to. And because of that, 
he can save a lot of money because <laughs> he's like, I, I'm only using effects when I need to. So everything else is practical, which means I can right. put more money into the effects I actually need instead of Taika. And I, I hate yeah. to say Taika, but like, I'm just gonna use visuals for everything. It'll be fine, man. And then, and then like everything's <laughs> visuals and half the visuals look like dog shit. Um, F-bomb though. Tell me, what do you, what do you think of it? Um, didn't see it coming. And I think that was my favorite part of it. It was just so subtle and quick. Like yeah. it, it, they didn't make a whole... Moment. Yes, they didn't make a whole like hullabaloo of it. It wasn't Nick Fury finally getting to say motherfucker. Like it was, it It was just get open the fucking door. It wasn't wasn't Endgame where the camera pans in on Chris Evans and he goes, Avengers, dun 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 dun, fuck. No, they didn't do that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Wait, not even like fucking assemble. It's just like he just goes, fuck. Like imagine if they had done that where where Rocket, they pan in on Rocket at the end. He goes, I'm done running. I'm done fucking running. Like, they didn't do that. Yeah. You know, they didn't need no, to. No, yeah. Just Quill just being fucking pissed off at the moment. Nebula being like, open the fucking door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. So, I just, wait, that's just so funny to me to think of like that ending moment in the ending <laughs> where Captain America zooms in and he's just like, Avengers fuck like we're screwed we know from she hulk that he does fuck um right right. some of the avengers fuck i hope a lot of the avengers fuck they they have the you know they're they're beautiful people you Um, know consensually or if if they're asexual that's fine too um but like i I really i i do love how it was so nonchalant because that's james gunn he's not trying to make a big moment out of that he's making big moments out of the other things uh yes there's six times where the characters walk in slow-mo but it's every every time they do it it's epic i mean I'm not gonna say I didn't like it, you know. Yeah, even though it's a little that redundant. was um, as you it. said, that was Kevin Feige's gift to James Gunn for this movie. Was yeah. he like I Chris Pratt talked about it in an interview because I'm obsessed now. I think I'm gonna be falling down the rabbit hole of just like James Gunn interviews for like mm-hmm. the rest of the year. I think, um, but he, Chris Pratt said in an interview like, "Oh, Ke- you know, Kevin Feige kind of approached James Gunn and was like, you don't wanna, like, you don't want that to be your.'" uh ending mark on this right like having the first ever f-bomb you don't want that and james gunn was like fuck yeah i do what are you talking about yes <laughs> you know i want to have the first mcu film with, the f- <laughs> with an f-bomb in it um, yeah. um so that oh it was great yeah, it was amazing it was great. and james gunn because he has that blank check he, he kind of just like hired his friends like you see a lot of suicide squad actors the girl yes. who chris pratt is trying to like romance uh Her, to let him U- get- Uda? Uda, Uda is played by Daniela Melchior, who played Ratcatcher 2 in Suicide Squad, who's the lead of that yeah. movie. Um, Nathan Fillion, of course, uh, even Michael Rooker got to show up in this. Um, I have yes. a few names. I have a few names that I don't know if you looked at the Wikipedia. Don't look now because I'm going to see if you know um, some names that I didn't realize were in this. So I'm going to I'm going to say an actor's name Go and you're going to tell me if they were in the movie or not. OK, OK, we're going to start easy. Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, he was yeah, in it. He, he looks so good. My mom didn't even realize it was him because she, she's like, he looks great. Um, uh, Danielle Melchior was the next Stakar? one. Dakar? What's uh, his name? Uh, I think it's Dakar or, or, or Gord. Dakar Ogord. Yeah, you're good. You're good. Um, all right. Miley Cyrus. Okay. what Was she the voice of the floating helmet? She was not. So she yeah, got replaced. Yeah. In this, I, yeah. in this movie, uh, she did not return to, to voice that role. Um, all right. Tara Strong. Oh. AKA Miss Minutes. Um, hi, y'all. <laughs> Was she in this movie? Who? 
No. She replaced Miley Cyrus as mainframe. So that was Tara oh, Strong. See? Okay. See? Cool, gotcha. cool. Because um, I was like, I heard the helmet and I was like, that's not Miley Cyrus. I yeah. know her voice and that's not it. <laughs> um, um, okay. Chris Hemsworth. No, I'm going to say Chris Hemsworth. He was not in this movie. Correct. Uh, Judy oh. Greer. Um, yeah, because I actually looked into who voiced um, Lila as well. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. I, no, no, no. Ju the, Judy the, Greer voiced the war pig, but war I pig. also know who voiced Lila. And do you want to tell us who voiced Lila? Linda Cardellini. Yes, exactly. So so we're seeing carryovers. Linda Cardellini, who is Hawkeye's wife. Uh, Judy yeah. Greer, who was Ant-Man's ex-wife. They're they're getting mm -hmm. to do voice roles here. Yeah. Um, uh, here, here's another one. Um, Pete Davidson. I heard that he was in this. Uh, I... <laughs> He's in this no movie. idea. <laughs> he's, in this movie. he's he's one of the guys with the high evolutionary who has like a, a gun or something. Hold on, James uh, JD is very good at like pointing things out to me. Um, right after he sees something, so I have a picture actually. Actually, no, I don't. Hold on. Yes, does I do. he wear like a helmet or something? Is no, he, like, he literally completely... is like an alien. <laughs> oh, okay. Because <laughs> um, I was like, I definitely didn't see Pete Davidson's face on screen. This was Pete Davidson. <laughs> wait <laughs> that's actually so fun yeah right that's like, so funny. like he just he just gets to do that i love that um all right sacha baron cohen oh god um yes no he was not in this movie oh okay. <laughs> i was like i'm um, gonna go out on a limb and just um, say yes and lastly um sacha baron cohen's co-star in borat 2 maria bakalova oh doesn't she voice cosmo she does. She does voice Cosmo. So there you go. There's your who's who of who was in uh, Guardians that you may not have known. <laughs> uh, yeah, Tara Strong, Judy Greer, Linda Cardellini, uh, wow. and Pete Davidson, and Maria Bakalova, all voices or uh, masked faces in that movie. I, I just thought it was cool because it was like all these people that like, you know, and Nathan Fillion was one that I heard was in it and then was waiting to find him. And then they actually showed him. I was like, oh, it's actually him. I thought he was going to be like a cameo, but he had a, he had a cool role. Um, no, yeah, he he had some funny moments. Yeah. I saw his I name. I got one of those. I got one of those. The, <laughs> the only reason why I know who Nathan Fillion is is because of Big Mouth. I'm embarrassed to say because one of the characters in Big Mouth, um, Missy, has like a you know she he's her celebrity crush. Oh, um, so when I saw his name come up in the opening credits, I was like Nathan Fillion, mm. the guy from Big Mouth. Yeah. Um, well, here's gonna here's what's gonna blow your mind. You know, in Monsters University, how Sully is trying to get into that frat. Mm -hmm. The leader of the frat is Nathan Fillion. So that's another. Oh, do you know the movie Waitress? I mean, like, I know it. I've never seen right. it. Dr. Pometer is Nathan Fillion. So there's two movies now where you can watch and be like, there's Nathan Fillion. He's also one of the guys awesome. who gets killed off early in the Suicide Squad because James Gunn literally killed off half the cast in that first scene. Um, right. But yeah, any any other stuff you want to touch on? I feel like I've touched on all my notes that I wanted to get through. But um, let, me let, let me see, Dill. Um, any specific moments that stick out? I mean, Drax speaking monkey to the kids and it not being monkey at all. I love that. <laughs> I mean, that was just that's just a classic Drax moment right there. Um, I did also do some uh, research on Rocket Raccoon because I wanted to, you know, yeah. obviously we got his backstory in this movie, which was, you know, him getting experimented on him forming this friend group of like, you know, it's it's kind of very we've been making a lot of metaphors with Peter Pan. So let's just call them like the Lost Boys kind of thing. Um, 
Yo, this and... movie is Peter Pan, and I think we just broke the internet. Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we cracked the code. And it's, it's funny because the Peter Pan movie literally dropped on Disney Plus last week, and it's also very good. So, like, we're winning. Okay. We're winning. I've, I've always... A lot of people were hesitant with uh, Peter Pan, I think because of maybe, like, Pinocchio or some other things well, that have not have landed so well on Disney Plus. So it's good to know that you enjoyed it. Um, but... You know, Rocket is our main character in this movie, and I so I just wanted to, you know, see what life was like for him in the comics. So Rocket Raccoon was the chief guardian on this planet called Half World, um, and it was basically a planet where the animals were forced to evolve, um, like like we see in the movie. And evidently, Hulk actually goes to Half World to help Rocket. And his one of his friends, his name is Walrus. So I'm assuming that's kind of mirroring Teeths, the character mm. that we know in the movie, yeah. um, and the Walrus in in the comics. They need to rescue his girlfriend Lila. So Rocket and Lila are dating in the comics. That's interesting because they kind of made it a little romantic at the end. That she like didn't kiss him, but like I don't know. If she like gave him kiss. like a like they like French. Not French kiss, but like how they do in Europe, but, where but they, they like, like double it was like it. a peck peck. It was more like a she like kind of like rubbed her nose on him. Um, it was almost like Lion King kissing, but yeah. like it was interesting because like when I think when that's she, how animals kiss. They like but also like rub their I, I forget I forget about animal ages like and obviously there's no like laws against ages of animals or whatever and consent or whatever like there are with humans. But like Rocket's like a baby when he's in the captivity and Lila's fully grown, which is where I was like, oh, are they like a thing or is she more like motherly to him? Um, mm. but I guess she's probably only like a few months old because it's the same batch of animals. She just might be a little bigger, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. Cause Cause his he grows up. Most, yeah. He grows up, but again, yeah. it, it feels like it's still a short period of time. Um, and, and props on Bradley Cooper for voicing him. I, I don't think he voiced the youngest, but he voiced him in like the middle age one. Um, yeah, just good voice work all, all together. Yeah. Um, so he needs to rescue his girlfriend, Lila. Um, but then half world turns out to be fake. In the comics, it just turns out to be a um, insane asylum where Rocket is working as a guard. And basically, like, the doctor believed that, like, humanoid kind of hybrids, like, really advanced animals that we see the high evolutionary making um, in the movie were help would help calm the patients in the facility. Um, so it's, it feels almost very like Moon Knight where he wakes up in the asylum and kind of like we're like oh is his real life not real and he's just hallucinating he's just been hallucinating yeah. in this asylum mm -hmm. um but i love how you brought up bradley cooper dill because the moment that i nearly i think passed away <laughs> was when we hear where is when after you know he's we find out that um they're not going to the, you know, batch 89 that Rocket and his friends are in are not, you know, designed to go to the new world, that they're going to be killed basically the next day. And so Rocket's like, I, I'm going to rescue us. I'm going to save us. I'm going to get us out of here. You know, him and Lila leave the cage together. Lila gets shot and killed. He and it's, and it's just that, that agonizing cry that is released that I'm like, oh my God, I was distraught. I was like, I had one of those cries that like starts in the back of your throat, like mm. where you feel the lump forming. Yeah. Like it wasn't just like a few, like 
I feel like surface level tears that kind of fall when you watch movies. It was like a, oh my God, something bad is happening to me kind of cry yeah. that I, it was heartbreaking to just hear that wail and for it to be so effective. I'm like, this is a CGI raccoon. And mm-hmm. this is Bradley Cooper in like a voice studio recording this, yeah. just absolutely giving it his all, his like, his, he's committed to this character 100%. And I was like, this commends, I just feel like Bradley Cooper as an actor because he was able to make me feel so many things with just his voice, with this character. Yeah. And yeah. and that's just, that was the most heartbreaking moment. Yeah. I think like maybe in like the entire MCU to like see this young creature you know because it is still a younger version of rocket it's not a full-grown adult rocket yet it's like a younger version of rocket who's been mistreated and experimented on and his friend just got just died in front of him and i i i think it's like more upsetting to watch it's like i that'll be like i think that has now jumped to like at least if not number one number two most heartbreaking moments in the mcu like worse than watching peter parker get turned to dust in in infinity war that stuff doesn't phase me anymore because they come back you know like you know what like I mean? it were like but i'm just saying like in, in the just moment, watching just, yeah, the moment yeah, yeah, in yeah, in yeah. the moment when the movie first came out like i that there will be nothing more heartbreaking than watching than just watching rocket break down like that because rocket as we've known him has never been a character to show any weakness or vulnerability like that and then to watch it i was like oh my god i'm i'm absolutely gutted gutted yeah, yeah. um no, that's a good point so i just um, i just wanted to bring up yeah how much i enjoyed bradley yeah. i mean that that scream it's it's very luke skywalker and i won't tell you what movie but there's a scream where that luke sky that mark hamill does when a big moment happens where he's yeah. just he breaks down and it's it's like that um and and i can't wait for you to finally watch star wars someday to, to see that but um last thing that i forgot to touch on and we haven't really sure. talked about him a lot because he is very much more a supporting role in this but he does function really well as groot um he's been a fan favorite for mm. so long you have been a little yes. bit more questionable about this newer version of groot this more bulky kind of jock type Groot. yeah um but we got a lot of enhancements with Groot. we see that he can like make wings out of his yes yeah Um, which is cool um and we saw gamora not only finally understanding him but we the audience for the first time ever got to understand what one of his lines said because so many people um were were texting me about this about this too and i'm glad everyone's picking up on it the fact that like he's not saying i love you guys he's saying we are i am group but we the audience but we understand it now we speak group and we it's are like, group. that was the first thing chad said to me when he saw the movie too he goes oh my god it's like almost like we're learning how to speak Groot." and i'm like yeah no that's awesome yeah like, that's i'm it. glad so many people are picking <laughs> up on it like chad picked up on it james gunn himself said it in an interview yeah. my mom my mom also i was like what do you think of Groot's last line she was like it's so cool i can understand him i was like oh my god i was like all right so everyone's getting it because i thought yeah. it was such like a nuanced cool thing that see everyone's getting it. i'm glad everyone understands that because there's also been a, a few kids and they're kids, but like in the theater when I saw it last night for the second time, uh, the kids were like, What? He hasn't speed. I'm like, guys, you don't yeah. get it. Um you, you don't, don't get, get it. Like Chad or my mom or Kelsey or I or James Gunn. Yeah. Get we get it. Gamora gets it. Um yeah. but uh, um I love that moment. I love like her. I said, Dill, I thought that this was the best showcase of all the different characters. And listen, 
I'll just say, like in the holiday special, like he just like looked a little silly. He <laughs> looked like it looked like a puppet. Like I feel like in this movie, like it was very much more like a CGI uh-huh. uh, visual effects. But in the holiday special, it looked like a guy in a suit, and it looked kind of really silly. So I didn't really fuck with that version of Groot. In the, he kind of really redeemed himself in this movie for me, just because like. You know, I felt like watching him, I was like, okay, so we've seen him as a baby. We've seen him as a teenager. This very much felt like a a group that had just graduated college. And it's like, all right, what can I do now to provide for my family? Like, mm-hmm. what what role do I play in all of this? And it was cool that he had all these different, um, you know, tricks up his sleeve, all these different enhancements about him, all these different ways to utilize mm. him in this movie. Oh. Like when he does grow the wings, when he like branches out, they're like Nebula, like says a code word, like group, yeah. do this now. Kai, he's like, Kaiju oh, got group. it. Yeah, Kaiju yeah, yeah, yeah. Kaiju he, like, is like a giant monster. Like Godzilla and King Kong, they're considered Kaiju. 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 It's it's a term oh, for Kaiju. like, it, it's like a genre of Japanese movies with big monsters. Like Godzilla is the most famous Kaiju in the world. The, the okay, gotcha. Monsters. Um, yeah, yeah so Kaiju group, I, yeah. and I thought that that was great, and 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 especially the moment, the best moment I feel like for Groot was before they you know jump out the window and fly is when you know he has all the guns hidden in him in the, yes, in, the in his branches, oh. and he takes them all out. He has like all these different weapons, um, and they're able to you know escape the high evolutionary like that. Um, so it. yeah, I I I was sold. This this movie sold me on on Groot, and I kind of yeah. like that he's a little bit bigger now, a little bit bulkier, and not just kind of like this dumb, you know, pet of rockets that's kind of yeah. bumbling around like we yeah. see in Guardians One. Like he has a lot more use to him, um, yeah. in this movie. Um, but and I feel like we kind of brushed over this moment. But going off of like you know these different moments of of action is what the best one you know, that you talked about before was the, uh, the one, one shot mm. of them all, all fighting together. Cause I love how it kind of paid homage to all their different fighting styles. So we kind of see like, you know, Groot's arm get really long, like how he does it in, um, I think infinity war when he like, you know, starts slamming mm-hmm. them up against anyway. So yeah. like he, he grows his arms. He's using his like twigs to kill people uh peter quill obviously has his iconic like uh dual dual gun uh set um we see a moment which was like homage to the first guardians where rocket climbs up on group's shoulder and starts like shooting at him because like that's a shot from Mm -hmm. um when they're in the kiln together and they're taking down bad guys like that and i was like oh my god it's paying homage (laughs) and and we see gamora with her sword and because like that's her iconic weapon of choice and i just really really loved that that was was that was that was just awesome yeah um Um, did you give this movie a rating deal yeah i mean the first time I watched it, it was a solid like eight out of ten, but now that I've like rewatched it, it's teetering on a nine. I don't think it's perfect. I think there's elements I don't love as yeah. much as others, but just for a send off, I'm I'm a sucker for a great conclusion. Return of the Jedi is my favorite Star Wars movie. I yeah. cried when Ross and Rachel rekindled after Rachel got off the plane. Um, I love a good conclusion. So um, the that was a Friends reference. Um, yeah, I got I gotcha. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I okay okay there was no reaction, but um I I, I like it a lot. I'm sticking with eight out of ten, but it could grow with estimation for sure. I think I'm definitely at a nine out of ten. Like that movie was damn near yeah. perfect for me. Like it was cool. perfect, and I just cannot believe that it is 
it's an end of an era. Mm -hmm. And this was the, you know, these, these are the group of characters that I fell in love with and that I, I, why I started watching the MCU. And I like the sense of finality too, though. Like, I like that it's an ending because it's like, even Endgame, it was like, oh, but here's your shield, Sam. Like, like they were setting stuff up to where here it's like, it feels like the end and it doesn't feel like we need to go any further. Even the post credits sets it up to where if they wanted to make more, they could, Mm -hmm. but I really don't know if they will without James Gunn. But it could mm-hmm. be one of those things where in another movie, if they're like, hey, can we call the Guardians to come here for a sec? Like they could show up um, because also it helps that three of them are CGI. Rocket mm-hmm. group and then Cosmo, which is a hybrid of real dog and CGI. But like you really only would need to get Kraglin and uh, Adam and then like maybe uh, uh, assuming she grows older, the, the young girl in that group. But like, you know, you, you have the advantage now of doing that, but also. I don't think you even need to see that group again. I think that post credits was to show that Rocket is leading this group now, and they're all good, and and they're they're going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't think we necessarily need more. And I love how final it feels. No, like. I definitely and don't want more. I mean, I'll, like, I'll take whatever I can get, especially if James <laughs> Gunn is behind the project. Yeah. I'm on board. Which you won't. Be. Um, be a DC. But I, but you know, it's 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 bittersweet because obviously if the movies could be as well made as this one and for them to make sense and we you know keep getting movies with these characters then i would be strapped in on board obviously this feels like a very solid uh conclusion for all of them you know we we have peter going back to his grandfather mantis you know decides that she needs to figure out life on her own because she's Mm -hmm. only ever been like second in command to someone her whole life um Nebula and Drax uh, are running nowhere together because, you know, they they need their father figure on nowhere. Mm-hmm. And, and Nebula uh, needs a life she never had, you know. Exactly. She wants to make it a home that she never that she never had herself. And then we have Rocket, you know, and, and group running running the Guardians together. So it, it feels like a very appropriate send off for all of them. And and oh, God, it's just it's. It's bittersweet. Amazing. Yeah. So go see it. Um, but do be warned, it is darker than your normal PG 13. The thing is with ratings, well, and this is a whole nother segment, but like PG 13 is supposed to be darker. If anything, most PG 13 films should really be PG films. Um, because some people are saying this should be R, this should be R. I'm like, it shouldn't be R. This is PG 13. It's dark. If you're above 13, if you're younger than 13, you should have parental guidance. PG right. just means, yeah, you could have a parent around, but you should be okay. Like, I honestly think most MCU films could be PG and this is PG-13. It makes sense. Anyway, but it is dark. It is some of those animal scenes might require some parent supervision or whatever. So like go see it, but be cautious. It, it's darker and it's it's going to be triggering for some for sure. But I think it's emotionally satisfying and I think you're going to really enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, you're going to go from crying hysterically to laughing to crying again. It's <laughs> yeah. it's an emotional roller coaster. Cool. Cool. All right. So that is our review for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. A longer review than we probably ever had for a movie, but because it is such so so good and we had so much to say. Um, my favorite of fi- Phase 5 so far, I'll say, between the two. Um, <laughs> uh, you can, uh, well, before we plug ourselves, um, I'm in the midst of a retrospective looking at movies from 10 years ago, from 2013. 10 years ago, 2013. Um, and two MCU films came out that year. So the next two weeks, we're going to be actually doing commentaries for y'all uh, for two of those films. Um, the first being Iron Man 3, the Kickstarter of Phase 2, and then Thor The Dark World, which is famously one of Kelsey and I's least favorites. But maybe we'll be redeemed. Maybe in the midst of some <laughs> lackluster Phase 4 stuff, maybe 
or Dark World will play better. I don't know. Um, but we'll be talking about both those films. So next week will be Iron Man 3. The week after will be Thor The Dark World. And then the week after that, we're getting our number one contender match with Noah and Stacy. The winner will play Kelsey in MCU trivia. Um, and then we'll have a great undercard for you as well. Kelsey, any last words? Where can they find you? All that stuff. Um, I guess my last words would have to be I am Groot. And really? Or okay. yeah. maybe no. We are Groot. Ah, uh, you think so? Okay. Yeah, uh, but you can find me on I'd say Instagram maybe apples, but... at. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at Kelsey A Kilpatrick. You can follow me on TikTok at Cause Thirteen. There you go. Um, and you can find me at Dylan underscore Randazzo, Twitter and Letterboxd, Dylan Randazzo 417 at TikTok and the Dill Pickle Movie Network. If you're listening to this on podcast, check it out on video. If you're checking it out on video, check it out on podcast. Give us those views, those likes, help us grow, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for watching, y'all. And remember, I am, we are, we always have been, uh, it'll always be, Groot. Groot.